we are looking at the end of chapter 7, and I think it would be uh, appropriate at this point to make some observations about the structure of Daniel a little bit uh, more in detail, and also reviewing some things that we'd already said, because there's a sense in which Daniel 7 starts the a new section of Daniel. Now, like a lot of things, you can outline the book of Daniel in more than one way legitimate ways. You learn some things from some various ways that Daniel is structured. But one way it's structured is that the first six chapters deal with events, dreams, and visions occurring uh, for uh, emperors, Babylonian emperors. Whereas starting in chapter 7 you have a series of dreams and visions that Daniel saw. Uh, so that's kind of the distinction. The first six chapters, if there's any dreams or visions, it was Babylonian kings that had them. From 7 to 12, the dreams and visions, it's Daniel that has them. And there are no more, like, just ordinary events in Daniel. Uh, like, there were just things that happened, like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel and the lion's den. Now, it's mo- every chapter has something to do with an, a vision or a dream or angelic communication or something that way. So we get more visionary starting in chapter 7. But there is another way of looking at the book that we've alluded to, but I'd like to uh, mention it uh, again, and that is looking at the language used. Chapters 2 through 7 are you using Aramaic? Chapter 1 and chapter 8 through 12 uses Hebrew. Now, that means something. The Hebrew is the parts that particularly deal with the Jewish nation itself. The Aramaic parts, Aramaic being more the universal language, are the parts that deal more with world events, the world empires, and things like that. And you see some structural things in chapter 2 through 7 as a unit. For example, in chapter 2, you had a dream about a statue. And in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar erects a statue. In chapter 6, Daniel confronted a bunch of... Lions. Lions, animals, and in chapter 7 you have a dream about animals, including a lion. So you see kind of some symmetry in that. But you also see kind of a, a chiastic structure in chapters 2 through 7. Chapter 2 and chapter 7 are visions that deal with a succession of four empires. Clearly chapter 2 and chapter 7 are companion visions. Chapter 3 and chapter 6 deal with these crises because of the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and of Daniel. Chapter 4 and 5 are where Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar had a fit of pride and were humbled. So, you see the the chiasm. 2 and 7 link, 3 and 6 link, 4 and 5 link. I think those are by design. At least, that's that's very clearly the way those chapters fit together. 
the bottom line of that for this chapter is, chapter 7 is kind of um, an amplification of what we learned in chapter 2 in the statue vision. In the statue vision, Nebuchadnezzar saw a succession of four kingdoms, and in the days of the fourth kingdom, God was going to establish his kingdom that would destroy the others. That's the background. And that's the pattern dream, pattern vision. And chapter 7 is very parallel to it. Do you have any questions or comments before we start in then to chapter 7? Why did writers write in chiasms? Well, I would consider it semi-poetic. Okay. You know, it's kind of like, why do writers write in poetry and rhyme and things like that? It makes it interesting... Um, it gives some tie-in of things. It's just more or less a literary device. Okay. Good question. Other questions or comments? So, verse, or chapter 1 and, and then chapter 8 through 12 are uh, Aramaic. They're Hebrew. Hebrew. They're Hebrew, and so they deal specifically with the nation of okay. Israel. Chapters 2 through 7 are Aramaic. They deal more with the world at large. <laughs> but aren't some of the visions in 8 through 12 uh, world? <laughs> well, you see, that is the question. I don't think so, but a lot of people do. And one of my arguments that they don't deal with the world at large will be they're written in Hebrew. Now, I got more arguments than that, but that is, a, that is an argument in favor of those being more directly dealing with the nation of Israel. There is a slight exception, perhaps, depending on how you looked at it, in the 70 weeks prophecy, but I think the 70 weeks prophecy is very much tied in with the Jewish nation, even though it does go beyond that to some extent. The rest of it, I think, is very Jewish. I think it's very much dealing with the things that the Jews were going to face in the period between Daniel and the time of Christ. But that is not how it's always interpreted. But we're, we're not there yet. So, yeah, right. Um, if I could ask you a question just to be a little more specific. Is, is uh, in chapter 2, um, is it starting, is the Aramaic starting to be written right two, four, two, four. Like is. Is it right at the beginning of verse 4 or when the Chaldeans start speaking? I believe, it, it, yeah, I think it's that. Uh, I think that it says 4B, but that B mean like when they actually start. Yeah, I think talking. it's when it says, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, then the Aramaic starts, O king, live forever. Okay, that's what I thought, yeah. and I just wanted to make sure. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, right on. All right, um, in chapter 7. Chapter 7 can get to be a little confusing if you don't kind of figure out where you're at. So let me say a couple things about where we're going to be at, and you're going to have to kind of follow, you know, this. If you'll do that, it's not that difficult. But, but this is like, this is a dream, but think of this dream as like a play. And in a play, you've got different um, scenes different sets. And so we're going to see three different scenes in this play. So you're going to have to, we're going to close the curtain, we're going to, you know, change everything on stage, and then open the curtain back and see again, and then do it again a third time. So there's going to be three different scenes. 
Then there's going to be Daniel's request for an explanation and a brief explanation. Then there's going to be Daniel asking a much more detailed question that actually is going to give us some more details about the play and then a detailed explanation. So that's the chapter as a whole. I'll keep you posted. The first scene is verses 1 through 8, if somebody wants to read that. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. I might observe in general that when we see visions and dreams like this, they are presented visually. It will help you to imagine this. It's helpful if you can see the details and just see what's happening. And it's helpful if we will do that first before we try to interpret and explain. Sometimes we are too quick to jump to, well, what does this mean, what does that mean, before we've actually seen the dream. Let's see it first. So, you see uh, the winds that are usually God's instruments. The winds stirring up the great sea. And what starts happening? Yes, one by one these animals come up out of the sea. And they're interesting animals, probably not quite like anything you've ever seen before. The first animal that comes up out of the sea is like a what? Like a lion, but not totally like a lion, is he? What's different? He has wings. Has eagle-like wings and... Ended up standing on two feet. Yeah, kind of a human-like posture with human brain. a human-like mind. So this is kind of a conglomeration, lion-eagle-man. Now, you might even just think for a second about what, that, what you see in that. We're not really giving the interpretation he's going to give yet. But when you see a lion, what do you think? King of the jungle. King of the jungle. And as king, therefore, he is powerful. powerful and strong. When you think of an eagle, what do you think? Flying high. 
Soaring. Soaring. Bird of prey. Bird of prey. You know, etc. And when you think of a man, particularly when you think of a human mind, what do you think? Intelligence. Intelligence and, and capability. Alright, so that's what he sees first. That's probably enough to uh, make him uh, look for a while. You can imagine trying to see that. But then, there's another beast that comes up. What is this beast like? Bear. Like a bear. Uh, but this beast is a little different. What are details on this beast that are interesting? Raised up on one side. Yeah, now, do you understand that? I see that. Can you imagine a bear that the legs on one side are longer than the legs on the other side? So I am imagining this bear as kind of limping. You know, if you've ever seen a bear do this. I have not, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm seeing. Uh, it's a bear that's raised up on one side. What else is interesting about the bear? Its teeth are like ribs. Well, not exactly. Not teeth are like ribs, but the teeth... He's having ribs. Yeah. Yeah. He's eating. Yeah. He's eating, you know, meat. He's got three ribs in his teeth. That is, that is, he's a, he's a hungry bear. It's kind of what you think about when you think about a bear anyway, isn't it? Bears usually hungry. Pretty powerful. Um... And uh, this bear is subject to orders. The orders say, arise, devour much meat. And again, this bear is going to eat a lot. Uh, kind of reminds me of teenage boys. But uh. All right. The, uh, after he sees the bear, then what does he see? A yeah, one like a leopard. But I'll tell you, this leopard is not like any leopard you've ever seen before, I don't imagine. What does this leopard have? Wings. Four bird wings. And four heads. And four heads. Ever seen a four-winged, four-headed leopard? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, now, when you think about a leopard, what, what's uh, special about a leopard? Speed. Yeah, really fast. What would happen if you gave wings to a leopard? Yeah. Whoa! That, that leopard's going to fly. And uh, don't know what's going to happen if you give four heads to a leopard. Go ahead, Cameron. Is the four wings, like the bird wings, they're tiny, like birds? I probably, I'm not thinking of that so much as just, you know, they fly. Kind of <laughs> <flying> <laughs> <by> <laughs> 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 that would look kind of weird on a leopard, wouldn't it? I think we need to match the size of the wings to the leopard. That's what I <laughs> big, big wings would look normal. Maybe little little <laughs> wings would look weird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a small leopard. <laughs> wow. A baby. There are lots of sizes of birds and bird wings, too, if you stop yeah. to think about it. Yeah, so... What? A penguin. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't see that one. Yeah. And then, after he sees the leopard-like beast coming out of the sea, that was number three. What's the fourth one? I, I call him the monster beast. That's my own name. But I, I like that name. Dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong, large iron teeth, d crushes and tramples down with its feet, and uh, just a really powerful, 
you know, destructive beast. So for me, he's the monster beast. And what's uh, unusual about the monster beast? Ten horns. But he keeps looking at the monster beast and suddenly something changes. The horn comes up and pops out three of the others. Horn number 11 comes up and three of the first ten plop out. And uh, this 11th horn, there's some odd stuff going on with this horn number 11. What's that? It has eyes and a mouth. Yeah, and what does he do with the mouth? Bragging. He brags a lot. So this horn has eyes and a boastful mouth. That's horn number 11 on the monster beast. So that is the first scene. And wow, that's, that's, that's quite something for Daniel to have seen. And this dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Now that in itself would be quite something, but he's not done. That's just the first scene. Do you have questions or comments on that scene? Um, is the Great Sea the Red Sea? Uh, well, no, I don't know that it is. I don't know for sure that we're intended to see a specific sea. If we were, I bet the Mediterranean would be the better choice. But I don't know that he's thinking of a specific sea. Okay. Other questions or comments? Um... In verse 5, when it says, and they said, arise, devour much flesh. Yeah. Or me, what? Who's the they? I don't know. Okay. Other questions? All right, second scene, 9 to 12. I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Okay. So he looks, and he sees these thrones set up. And who does he particularly see? The Ancient of Days. Now, the Ancient of Days, what does that mean? been around a long, long time. He's an old timer. And who do we understand that as being? I think God. Yeah, I think so. I think this is God on his throne, but it's emphasizing the fact that God is from eternity. And so he's on his throne, he's got white hair, his throne is ablaze in flames, Whoa, what, what kind of a courtroom would this be like? Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know, maybe you don't feel this way, but I remember the first time I went to a courtroom. I was probably 30 years old, and it was in a very small town, in a very small county. 
but it was still really intimidating. You know, there's just something about a courtroom and the way it's designed and the decorum and so forth that's kind of scary. Can you imagine a courtroom like this? Whoa. And, and, and you've got this river of fire that's just flowing out from the throne. And what do you have all around the throne? In front of the throne. Myriads upon myriads. Yeah, tons of angels. You know, all kinds of angels are there. And you've got the, the books that are open. And so this is just the classic scene of God is the judge on his throne with all his royal splendor, with all of his attendants, full of fire. God's going to be able to make the judgment. And what you see is this: these boastful words that the horn is speaking. So obviously one of the parties that's on trial is this monster beast. And what happened to the beast? Beast was killed and what happened to the body? Burned up in that fire. The rest of the beasts have their dominion taken away but they've got a little extension of time. Uh, so they, they last for a little while but the beast is burned up. So in this courtroom scene, you see what maybe after the first scene you would not have expected. You really saw that monster beast as being the granddaddy of them all. What are you going to do about it? But when God sits in judgment, all he has to do is say the word. And the monster beast and that little horn are destroyed and burned up in the fire. So that's the second scene, the courtroom scene. Comments and questions? Yes? This kind of reminds me, I don't know, if, I mean, is, so is this a picture of God judging? It is a picture of God judging, yes. Is, so is He's it, judging this beast, the monster beast and the horn. So does this kind of represent, like, whatever, kind of like when we die, we judged, and like, if we're not faithful to God, what happens or something? think it represents God's judgment of the monster beast and the little horn. Now, in verse 12, the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. Yes. So they are part of this judgment too? Or? They are. What I think is that each of the animals is sort of swallowed up by the animal afterward. So, you know, that they kind of live in this fourth beast. And that they lose their dominion and yet they don't die yet. So the beast, and especially that little horn, is burned up, and yet, while they've lo- the, the beasts have lost power, they continue on for a little while. That's a, that's a complicated aspect of this that I don't know is ever really dealt with all that specifically later on. So I'd be a little more tentative in my conclusion about that, but that's what I would say at this point. Other questions or comments? Okay. Third scene. 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. 
Then to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Okay, so he sees here a very brief vision. Now we're going to see some more details of this a little later. But in brief, this scene is the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days. Now, I would take the Son of Man to be Jesus, though we're going to see a little later, this isn't just Jesus as a man or as a person, but Jesus' people also. They come up before the Ancient of Days, and they receive the dominion, the glory, and the kingdom. Now, what did we just learn about the dominion? It was taken away from the other three beasts and the monster beast was destroyed. So I take it as this is what happens when the dominion is taken away from those beasts. The dominion, the glory, the kingdom is given to the Son of Man and to his people. They receive the victory. They receive the authority. It kind of reminds me of Daniel chapter 2. When that rock smashes the statue and becomes the great mountain, it's interpreted that in the days of those kings, God sets up an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. And that's what he says at the end of verse 14. So in this third scene, already the beasts have lost their dominion, now the dominion and the kingdom is given to the Son of Man. So that's the third scene. Comments and questions? Well, what would you be thinking if you were Daniel about now? Huh? That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. What is that? That would be a lot to take in and a lot to interpret. So... This is going to be, the next section is Daniel just says, what is this? And he gets the short course. In brief, here's what it is. So 15 to 18. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. Okay, so Daniel's really upset. He wants to know what all this means. And what he's told is, the beasts are these four kings that will arise, and then the saints receive the kingdom and possess it forever. So that's just a very brief thing. You have four kings, and then you've got the saints taking over the kingdom. Basically, that's what you know. That's what that's all about. But that's really brief. And there's a lot of details Daniel still wonders about. So why don't we go ahead and get the bigger explanation, and then we can discuss it all. But now you've got to look and see what the bigger explanation amounts to. In 19 to 22, 
Daniel asks a more specific question. But as he asks this question, or as he wants to know this, you find a lot more details about the vision in the first place. So this actually adds to our picture of the first scene, and really first, second, third scenes, but of the of the original vision. And then the explanation starts in 23. So this really this is really significant because there's a lot more details of the vision and then the explanation. So 19 to 28. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before the three of them fell, and before which three of them fell. Namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was wagging, waging war with the saints, and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came, and, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom of the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth, and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten will rise, ten kings will rise, and another will rise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. And he will speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alternations in times and in law. And they will be given unto his hand for a time, times and a half of time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, and annihilated uh, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty of... Then the... Sovereignty. Sovereignty, thank you. The dominion and the greatness of all kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the high one, highest one. He, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale. But I kept the matter to myself. Alright, there's a lot of information, a lot of details in this. So we have to look through this, and we'll try to kind of back off and summarize what we're seeing. But in 19, Daniel wants to know about this fourth beast because it's so different, so powerful. He wants to know about those ten horns, and he wants to know about that little horn that, that uh, three of the first ten fell when this other horn came up. This horn that has the eyes, verse 20, the boastful mouth, the horn that was bigger than the other horns, and he kept looking and the horn, this this eleventh horn's waging war with the saints and overpowering them. That's really important. See, there's a little bit more to this that we didn't realize. You know, it's not just that this monster beast is powerful, and that this this next horn that comes up is you know a braggart and and has eyes. This horn is persecuting the saints. This horn is making a a war 
against God's people and he's winning the war. That's a really serious matter. Until, see it makes the courtroom even more important. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the highest one. Now what you need to see, this kind of helps us expand our picture of that second scene with the courtroom. What you need to see in that courtroom scene, and this sometimes happens in a trial, we may not be looking so much as a prosecution by the state as a trial between two parties. You've got the, the beast and that horn versus the saints that the horn is waging war against and overpowering. And it's time for the Lord to pass judgment on who gets the victory in this war. And the and so they come before the Ancient of Days, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. Now we'd already known that it must have been passed against the beast and the horn, because the beast was thrown into the fire. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. So God's people win the victory, they gain, gain the dominion, uh, and, and the beast and the horn is destroyed. That's all a part of the vision that Daniel saw. Now while you're pondering that, look at the explanation, because it all fits together. He says the fourth beast is the fourth kingdom. See, we've had these successions of four animals, four kingdoms, and it's different, it's powerful. The ten horns, those are ten kings in that fourth kingdom. And then the eleventh is a king that comes up that subdues three kings before him. And he speaks out against the Most High. Verse 25, he wears down the saints of the highest ones. He tries to change times and law. And for a time, times, and half a time, they're given into his hand. In other words, for three and a half times, time is one, times is two, half a time, three and a half times. For three and a half times, the saints are given into the hand of that horn. Now, do you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the tree being cut down and it being drenched with dew and all that for how many times? Seven. Seven times. That's the full period of time. That's as long as it takes for Nebuchadnezzar to come back to the ground and humble himself, recognize the greatness of God. Well, this isn't seven times. What's the relationship between seven and three and a half? Three and a half is half of seven, so it's half of a complete period of time. That's the time that the saints are just, uh, that the horn is allowed to wage war and overpower the saints. But the court sits for judgment. Then you've got that courtroom, and the dominion is taken away from the horn, from the monster, annihilated, destroyed forever, and the sovereignty, dominion, and greatness of all the kingdoms are given to the people, the saints of the highest one, and their kingdom is everlasting. So God passes judgment against the beast and the horn in favor of his people, and they receive the kingdom. They are blessed, and they are victorious. That's a whole lot. Let me just stop, and you can start asking questions, and then at the end I'll try to summarize this and see if we can kind of at least see basically what's going on. We all got it. 
kind of a lot more think of how much time has gone by. Time, times, and, and how. Well, that you're not told that. Time is just kind of an indefinite period. Okay. But the fact that it's three and a half and not seven means that it's short. Shorter okay. than a full time. But yeah, he's not really telling us by that. Think about Daniel 2. Four kingdoms, days of the fourth kingdom, God establishes his kingdom and destroys the others. Here, four kingdoms, four different animals, a lot of focus on the fourth one, a lot of focus on the eleventh horn of the fourth one that's a braggart and that has eyes and that's making war against the saints and winning. And then the courtroom. <laughs> God passes judgment for his people against the horn, against the monster. And God's people gain the victory and the dominion. This is saying that on all this that happens in the long run, God's judgment will prevail. God's people will prevail. And these uh, king kingdoms and kings their war against God's people will not be successful. God is going to give give an eternal, indestructible victory to his people. Should we we see the same four kingdoms in each? Yes, I think so. Although we do not yet know the identity of any except the first one. Because the head of gold was identified for us in Daniel 2 as Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. So we would assume that the lion, eagle, man, animal is Babylon. Interestingly, Babylon is compared to both a lion and an eagle in some other passages in the prophets. Um, Not that that's a huge deal. A lot of of kingdoms are compared to lions. (laughs) But... uh, But, at any rate, uh, that's Babylon. We will find out in the next chapter two of the others. But at this point, we don't know. They'll just be the next two kingdoms. Right. Um, Might have already mentioned this. I don't know. Uh, Okay, I'm going to focus on verse 24. Um, So the ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them, which obviously the eleventh. And then he shall be different from the first ones and shall... New King James says subdue three kings. Yes. So New American Standard. Yes, is. What is that subdue there? I don't know what happened, but somehow or other he knocked off three of the kings to come to power. Okay, so in his to coming to power. That's what I'm assuming, or as he comes to power, or whatever. He got rid of maybe three. But somehow was, three of them dropped out to give room for him. Okay. You think it? Is there a, a reason why it makes mention that the that the eleventh horn is little? Like, was I mean, like. That he was a shorter dude, or that like, or that he just—you know—there's a significant reason why it says that the horn, the eleven horn, is little. Well, maybe not, especially when later on he says it's bigger than the others. Uh, but it's another okay. horn. Okay. Verse twenty is bigger. I just get the idea that it came up small, yeah. starts coming up, plucks out of the three, and then it appears larger than the rest. Uh, okay. Uh, rising to power, more power. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. But I get that. It appeared okay. not to be a big deal yeah. at first. Oh, we don't have to worry about this guy right Well, yeah. maybe we do. Yeah, I didn't know if it meant that he started out young or that if it was a. Yeah, I don't know what I meant. He just rose up. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a fair explanation. Okay. You can see why Daniel 
kept quiet about this. I think, I think he was afraid somebody asked him questions about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can see why Daniel was pretty alarmed when he saw the vision. This is, you saw I had a dream like this, it'd probably bother you a little bit too. You know, God's giving him a, a, a quite a view of a lot of things that are going to happen. You know, but it's a comforting thing. The thing that you see in Daniel, even though the people are in exile and suffering, in the end, they overcome all the kingdoms that have been against them, and they win the victory. That's really exciting. That's the ultimate point. Obviously, this chapter dovetails perfectly with Revelation 13. And I think... uh, that the monster beast here is the same as the sea beast of Revelation 13. Yes, guys. Did all dreams back then mean something? Not necessarily. Other comments or questions? Is there a... Did God want him to have... Like, did God have, the, have any of this dream to yes. understand? Yes. I mean, it's... Purposely, that's why it's in the Bible. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah, I mean, this is a part of God's revelation of end. This is showing him in a dream format the things that are going to happen. Now he's not got a statue, he's got animals come up out of the sea, but it's the same basic point. You know, you got the succession of kingdoms, and then God establishes his that destroys the others. There's details given here that aren't given in chapter 2, but it's the same basic format. Other questions or comments here? So, so for them, I mean, this would have been another, uh, you know, what, what would you call it, a, an inspirational uh, vision that would give them hope for the future. Absolutely, absolutely. They win. Ultimately, messianic in in its yes. in its meaning. Not that they would have. I may mean, not have understood that exactly very well yet, but yes, it is. But it's like yes. In their language, Israel is going to over, overcome. Yes, to win. absolutely. Yes. Yes, it's a victorious... It, it, it looks bleak for a while, but the bottom line is the indestructible kingdom passes in, to the saints and they, they reign forever. So you can see why the Jews were looking for a physical kingdom too. <laughs> yes. They didn't understand what the passages were really saying as far as the nature of the kingdom. Other questions and comments? Would the uh, when Nebuchadnezzar had this vision of the statue and everything, you know, he's the head of gold, and that certainly made him feel good. I would imagine. Would he also have, if he had known about this, would the Babylonians have thought, "Oh, cool, we're aligned with eagle wings and"? Yes, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know to what extent they understood this. Uh, This is in the first year of Belshazzar. Oh, by the way, that's the other thing I didn't say about the structure of the book. I guess I should have done this. I forgot. But chronologically, chapters 1 through 6 go from like 606 down to 539, 538, whatever. Then we drop back in time to about 551 
we go down to like 536 or whatever. So this is backing up a few years and pulling it down again. The, the visions Daniel has are in the fifth, first and third year of Belshazzar and the first and third year of Cyrus. So, but these start, we move back in time a little bit and then go on down farther. So that's the way that looks. Yes, Cass? I have two quick questions. The first one is, how, how old is Daniel here? Uh, well, this would be about um, 55 years more or less after he went into captivity. And the second question is, does, did he know that this dream was from God? Or? I, I, I assume he did. So he could have been in his maybe 70s. 60s or 70s, right. late 60s or 70s. But he kept the manor to himself, so do we know at what point, if it became you know, public? I'm assuming at some point Daniel wrote all this, but I don't know when. Yeah. He would have had to because we have it written, right? Exactly. Yeah. And he's writing it in the first person. But did he write it? For his people, did he write it for you know greater uh, publication? At least for his people. Mm-hmm. So this was still been during the. This is dur- yes. The head of gold. Yes, it is. It's during the first year of Belshazzar. So. The lion with the eagle's wings. Yes. This this as a note that that's about fourteen years before the fall of that book. Yeah, that's somewhere in there. It seems like everybody else's dreams like didn't perplex him as much. Like Nebuchadnezzar with the statue, like he like he prayed about it. God told him what it meant, but. Well, I I think if you were the one that had the dream, you would be more perplexed. Like it just seems like after God interpreted it for him, he seemed to know more what was going on than he does with this one. Like I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, this is a very detailed. It's troubling knowing the war and the, the how the the horn is going to be overpowering the saints. Mm-hmm. This is this is really touching close to home. And there's usually some purpose or some meaning, even in the way that it's revealed a lot of times in the prophets. I don't know what this would be, but it, rather than, for example, the other visions and the dreams of the kings, Daniel was just a messenger to interpret God's message to the king, whereas here he's revealing it to Daniel to reveal to his people in this form some sort of a vision, step by step, a little information at a time for whatever reason. You know, I don't know if there's if that's significant or not, but as you know, God's used many different methods of having people demonstrate things and do Maybe to some extent he's got different things to communicate, so he has to do that a step at a time or a vision at a time. the manner of the first set of visions also greatly enhanced the standing of Daniel and and the others and also therefore of God in the eyes of the Babylonian kings. Yes. Good point. Other thoughts and comments? I think if Daniel didn't understand anything else, he saw that the saints, God would cause the saints to overcome. That is where this ends up. Yeah. God's people with the dominion and authority and victory. That's, that is the bottom line. That is the important thing. Whatever kingdoms there were before, God's is exclusive now. 
Now, you know, one of the things, Griff. I, I wonder if one reason why he was so alarmed is he doesn't know the timeline of how these empires are going to go. So it's almost like he knows that he's living in the head of gold. <laughs> he knows that much. But he doesn't know if this is going to happen very quickly. And this whole process is going to be is alarming. Different empires rising and, you know, bears eating barbecue ribs and leopards with wings and, you know, monster beasts and everything coming along. Um, you know, that kind of, if that could also be part of it, that's alarming. Yeah, I know the end, but i got to go through all that. Mm -hmm. Could be. And I think just the persecution of the horn against the saints. Well, well, once you see the end, you realize you don't have to get caught up in the size of the leopard's wings or exactly. any of those kinds Absolutely. of Absolutely. Yes. Now, one thing we will see, you know, it's hard to know how to teach this. There's some more details in Chapter 7, like some of the details about the animals, that we can still find out more about. But I prefer to wait until we see those same kingdoms mentioned in chapter 8 and make some correlations and study that all together. It's kind of hard with this because we're learning a bunch of stuff and trying to figure out when to teach what. So we'll come back to chapter 7 as we do chapter 8. What, what does the word saint mean? Like Holy one. Holy one, okay. I, I don't know... I've never noticed this. I've never noticed it was in the Old Testament. I just, I don't know. I just never noticed. I'm sure I read over it before, but it just now clicked with me because I just thought it was a term for Christian. You know what I mean? I didn't know. It, was it means a holy one. Okay, holy one. Okay. Can be used for angels even. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Um, I wasn't here a while ago for the study about when Nebuchadnezzar was turned into the animal. Yeah. But for that part, he was in first person. Right. He told this himself. He was kind of an autobiographical chapter of Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, it was. So, how did it end up in... It was just, yeah, they, it was recorded in Daniel, so that we know about that vision. Okay, let's go ahead and look at this first part of chapter 8. This will help us and complicate us. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Well, wait just a minute. It's a story Nebuchadnezzar tells about himself. I just wondered what that found in it. 